this episode, you meet Mark Fellman. Mark grew up an Air Force brat, uh, <laughs> starting off in Mississippi, going to Turkey, uh, upstate New York, and then finally high school and junior high in Laurel, Maryland. Uh, Mark showed up at the academy, a uh, <laughs> getting him, landing himself on academic probation almost immediately, staying there seven of eight semesters, having four academic boards and surviving, partially because he was also eight out of eight semesters on the commandant's good list. So uh, that's very impressive. He uh, graduated in the 700s, and just for comparison, I was in the 900s, so <laughs> he's still a much better uh, cadet than I was. Um, upon graduation, Mark became a pilot, a uh, tanker pilot, KC-135s and KC-10s. He's got an unbelievable uh, story of, uh, of achievement in, in a in – a, anyway, you'll hear the story. He won the McKay Award and the Jabbar Awards for this uh, adventure. Uh, Mark, even with his academic background, got three uh, postgraduate degrees. He's a Harvard fellow, and he currently uh, is a retired Air Force colonel now. He works for a meat miter company, and he used to work for Booz Allen. There you go. Th thanks for doing this. No problem. My pleasure. So I always start this off by asking kind of an open-ended question of what message do you have for the uh, – Perspective cadets, the current cadets, the recent grads, and the old farts like us. Well, I would say to um, to the, the current cadets, especially those that might be struggling. Uh, maybe we were all struggling. I was going to say, uh, who's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, But I would just say uh, one of my favorite quotes is Winston Churchill's never, never, never quit. I don't know how many nevers are in there, but there's a and he's basically never quit. Uh, just uh, stay at it. Uh, it it's a, perseverance wins out over a whole lot of other things. Uh, that's what I'd say to them, to our classmates. I'm proud to have uh, come this far with you all. Uh, uh, those include the ones living and the ones that have passed. And uh, what a journey we had together. And I'm very proud of that. In fact, uh, uh, it's one of the things I remember the best of my uh my young ex life experience. And was there another category in there? No, uh, I, think I wanted to, okay. uh, we can, we can, that those are great messages. I think the, uh, the people that are recent grads will figure out that, that they fit well. Yeah. Well, look what they have to look forward to. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that begs the question, where did you grow up? Well, I was uh, born into the air force. I was born at Keesler air force base in Biloxi, Mississippi. And uh, I still had a southern accent when we left there in first grade. Went to Turkey uh, with my dad had a NATO assignment, Izmir, Turkey. Ended up in uh, New York, Stewart Air Force Base, and he retired. And ended up back in Laurel, Maryland, kind of near where I'm at right now. And uh, spent the next few years going to junior high and high school here in uh, this part of the country. I'm in Virginia now. Uh, and then I got accepted. I got an appointment, a presidential appointment from Richard Milhouse Nixon. I uh, couldn't get any of the congressional ones, but I got that one. And I, I ended up going and um, uh, hung on for dear life. And may, and uh, that's how I got there. Uh, so as growing up, I grew up in the Air Force. And anybody who's been a brat uh, knows that you don't really have a place that you feel like is home. But on the other hand, you feel really well-adjusted. 
you can move around and 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 uh, get your feet on the ground pretty quick, no matter where you go. And you and kind of the world is your is your home. So, uh, I mean, there's some places I'm partial to, but uh, that's how that's kind of where I grew up uh, all around. And, and for those of you other, I was also a presidential uh, appointment. Other. Folks like us, uh, we kind of got lucky because we didn't have to write him a letter every year, especially after he quit. Yeah. <laughs> the congressional guys always had to write their guy a letter. And I thought, well, we, that's a few minutes we've saved from the uh, the schedule. Absolutely. <laughs> so how, how was uh, – so so from uh, an Air Force kid uh, growing up, what was your favorite place? Well, I, I enjoyed um... – uh, the one I, I don't remember Keesler that much. Uh, I am kind of still oddly fond of warm and humidity, which everyone thinks I'm insane. <laughs> I think that's just because of the child in me from I remember those years. But I Turkey was fascinating because I got to see ancient history up close and personal at, at a young age and, and not too young to not remember it. And then when we got to New York, uh, I got to go to New York City and I got to see West Point and realized I never wanted to go there. It was so gray and depressing. Uh, uh, but uh, I, I think my uh, I think I liked the fact that I lived in Turkey as a child because uh, later on, well, we may touch upon that. I ended up back there uh, as a senior officer. So uh, I think I, Turkey was one of my favorite places because I got to see Greece and the Parthenon and the ruins and the Ephesus and all these biblical sites and all that stuff. So you got to you got to bounce around the country quite a bit. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah, we 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 toured, and Izmir is kind of centrally located, so you can see quite a few things there. And and when we took one off one trip one summer to Greece and Italy, so I got to see those places as well. So it was really uh, something for a young young person. Uh, boy, if you can do that, I would highly recommend it. I, yeah. I had no control over it. But it was really cool that I got to grow up that way. No, that that, that Air Force brats, we, mm. we bounce around. Mm. Yep. There. Um. So, all right. So you show up at the zoo. <laughs> what was it? What was your expectation versus the reality? Well, the expectation was, uh, I got a I, I got a haircut before I went, and I thought it was a pretty, I thought it was a pretty good haircut. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the next. And within 24 hours, it was completely shaved off. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not sure it was actually within regulation, the haircut I got. So my expectation was um, I kind of knew, uh, but it was a shock. You know, I don't think anybody can be prepared for that experience. It's uh, and it, because you're constantly evaluating, especially in that first summer and the first year, do I really want to do that? I mean, you, it's, it can be harsh and you're, you're transitioning from being basically in my case, I was the youngest in my family. I was a, a basically still a child, you know, an 18 year old. And here I'm, I'm trying to, an 18 year olds deciding what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And, uh, it's, it's a tough year for everybody. And, uh, and, uh, in some, some ways you have to experience personally, it's just your own, um, you turn into a man, quote unquote, uh, or, you know, you grow up into an adult, maybe yeah. is a better way to put it. And you, you figure it out. And, uh, you know, if you don't figure it out, you might go somewhere else and do something different. And that's, I had a lot of friends that did that, but, uh, I'm glad I stuck it out. 
I, because I learned another a lesson from that. Not only that I got some reward for that, but that um, perseverance is where I first learned the the lesson of that, and I and it stuck with me through a lot of things after that. So what's uh, what was your duly squadron? I was in thirty one. Okay. Grim Grim Reapers. Uh, I was always in the fourth group because uh, then we went downstairs to I went down to thirty three for cellar rats. Uh, I don't think they're allowed to call them the cellar rats anymore, but uh, I, kept... <laughs> I don't think they're even in the cellar anymore. seems like I went back there at the last reunion and they moved them off that floor, maybe to get them to stop saying cellar rats. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So uh, Dooley year was 31 uh, for, and uh, uh, just seemed to be uh, dif difficult, difficult academics, but I learned early on that, you know, to go ask for extra help because, and I learned a very valuable lesson there that when you, it's not only that you're getting the help from this professor, but you're getting them to buy into your success. They become part of that formula. Uh, they're kind of responsible for you now. If they agree to help you, then they're kind of responsible for you succeeding in a small way. So, and I, and I didn't do that. I wasn't Machiavellian or anything. I wasn't trying to scheme it. But after the fact, I realized that's exactly what happened oh. is that the, these guys uh, ended up helping me and they felt kind of uh, vested in my success. So it was kind of cool. That's interesting. And, that, and I guess and you told me earlier that you had some fun with chemistry. Yes, I flunked chemistry. I got a big fat F that first semester and I thought I was gone and I was on the phone with mom and saying, I think I'm coming home. And I called University of Maryland, who still had my 50 bucks. And they <laughs> and I said, can I still come? And they said, yes. And uh, and I but I instead of that, when I got back from Christmas, I went into a small room, uh, academic board, and they had these big old TV screens. There's, the TVs were so gigantic back then, but they had all around the room with my grades and everything on there and a bunch of senior officers and direct mess in their dress, their class A's. And, and they were trying to scare, scare me into doing good. And, uh, so they put me on deferred turn back status, which meant I could graduate with the class of 77. And I didn't know what that meant. And that's a classic example of may you never know what you cannot do. I just kept trudging along and graduated with everybody else. So, uh, I never realized that I was in jeopardy of slipping back a year because uh, they, uh, they reduced my load that spring semester. And I kind of wish they hadn't because I wasn't flunking because it was too much academically. It was because I was a, a little boy trying to become a man. And um, and that's basically where the root of my, my issue were. And, and I got over that. But, man, it was a long call out of there. And when you get a GPA and it's cumulative and you have to fight your way out, you know, you can't do that with C's and B's. Yeah. You're going to yeah, not in any time quickly anyway. So I had a tough go of it, but I, uh, I, I got an A the second time. And then I went to summer school. I didn't have, I had our flight as we called it back then. Yep. And uh, I, uh, I did the second 102 and got an A. Uh, but they, in either case, would they give me an A because they treated it as if I was taking it the second time. Right. Those A's would have really helped on my GPA, <laughs> but oh well. So, so you went for our flight, then what happened the rest of that first summer? The first summer I did a survival, uh, like a lot of guys did. And I got the, <laughs> I came back and got a dear John letter from my girlfriend from back home 
So I was like a lot of maybe hundreds of other cadets. Uh, I had to get over that, which took some time. Uh, so, but you know, you you kind of when you're trying to get used to be away from home, you place your your heart on something that yeah. seemed grown up, like a girlfriend or something. And uh, and so it maybe was a more important. The thing broke up when you were telling me about your dear John letter. Okay, well, I got a dear John letter like everybody else. <laughs> seemed like anyway and just like the folks i'd heard about that happened to it went on the squadron bulletin board and everybody corrected the grammar <laughs> and uh, uh and I, I don't think i had the courage to send it back but then uh the last thing i did was operation non-com uh after survival training i was a crew chief on b-52s and um at seymour johnson air force base uh, and which was kind of foretelling because I ended up spending a lot of my career there later on and uh, got a honorary. It was nice because it was in North Carolina near home in Laurel, Maryland. And so I could hit the road on the weekends and kind of made up for not having leave that first year. Okay. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And did you do any adventurous travel on that trip? Uh, not on non-com uh, later down the, when on my senior summer or the senior, the year before senior, I was operation third lieutenant, did some great traveling there. I was just, uh, I, I, I was an eye opener though, because I would show up for roll call. And remember this is like post Vietnam, Vietnam and yeah. all the enlisted guys. And I could see, you know, there was a, a, a whole spectrum of behavioral patterns amongst the enlisted folks. They stuck me with a real sharp kid that was uh, and uh, I guess they wanted me to think that's the way everybody was, but I got to see them all. And, uh, and that was actually a good, as much as it, if, if you open your eyes, experiences like that can really teach you stuff. And I, I happened to, by luck, pay attention. And, and I, I remember how those guys were because later on when I was a squadron commander, I had maintainers ironically in the same wing. Uh, and I, they, they were, they had put the maintenance guys in the, the flying squadron. So uh, I had the same kind of guys. I, I knew, I kind of knew the territory. Yeah. Just, just for whatever it's worth the, uh, all the Navy squadrons, we, we had our own uh, maintenance folks with us all the time. We, you know, they would change them back and forth. And uh, this particular time they went with the model of the maintainers were now part of the flying, the ops squadron. So yeah, we, we, everywhere we went, we had the people that, did everything for us with us uh, part of yeah. our group because we didn't we didn't have enough uh, space to have a special <laughs> maintenance. Yeah, uh, I'm curious if your act pro made them send you to Operation Noncom, thinking that that might be your future. <laughs> yeah, it could have been. I remember uh, we called that commitment night. Was that before our right sophomore year? Year right before junior year. Yeah. And uh, that's when I learned to not like Boone's Farm. <laughs> it's, uh, so what for stress relief as a cadet? I'm sorry? What did you do for stress relief as a cadet? Oh, well, um, I'm a frustrated musician. Okay. So I, uh, I would go over to Arnold Hall and play the piano. I was actually a percussionist, but I taught myself piano. So I'd go over there and bang on the keys if someone else wasn't, there were two or three guys like me, like, and then some of my other classmates played guitar. And so we, um, we did some things like that. Uh, in fact, when I was a junior, uh, Dave Wilson, our classmate and I, we had a little singing duo. 
Cool. And we would, <laughs> it was more of a tongue in cheek, but we did, uh, they had a sort of little talent show after dinner and down in the cellar rats and we performed a few times there. Just our filthy lyrics to songs that everyone knows. <laughs> so, so, but it was fun. Yeah. So I, I, I music and also I had a, a pretty nice stereo rig that I hauled all the way back from, um, Maryland, uh, and I remember what a haul that was across the terrazzo. And one night, here I am coming back from Christmas, and you know, we're and I brought my stereo with me, and uh, I was dying. And this upperclassman said, "Hey, you man, be at rest." And he let me walk direct VFR direct straight over to the dormitory and the over there and the because yeah. we were in fourth group. So that's that was a lifesaver there's always these little angels that appear in your life from time to time and and that night that guy was mine and then uh, the other big question i always ask especially guys that had the academic challenges like uh, like i did um did you ever want to quit oh yeah uh, i remember um even though they said i would could stay and they were going to make all these uh, accommodations for me to try to finish up and maybe even graduate with the next class. Uh, I had a hard one. I remember one day uh, was really hard for me. And I, I, we had to unmark our cards when we weren't in an unauthorized area. Yeah. It was the one, one time in four years that I unmarked my card because I was going to go down the elevator down to where the medical people were under the library. And there were telephone booths there. This back in the day of telephone booths, yeah. and I called I called my mom, and I was, you know, trying, and and she basically talked me out of it. Um, uh, I think she said something like it would break your father's heart or something like that. But <laughs> but really, it was I just needed some reason, you know, some cause. And I went I went back to my room, and I think I cried a little bit. And when that when that was it, I never thought about it again. Wow. I I just stuck my shoulder to the grindstone and and just said i'm just going to keep on going and until someone says uh hey you man you know you don't you got to leave you know I, i'm just i just kept going at it i thought one foot in front of the other and uh one bite of this sandwich at a time yeah that that's kind of i've talked to a bunch of folks and they they say well you didn't want to quit you know there's something wrong with you and i i think you and i had a similar experience that we're on academic trouble so much that I figured they were going to throw me out. So I'll just keep taking whatever they're going to give me until, until they pull the plug and, and, and somehow they never pulled the plug. Yeah. <laughs> I explained it to one of my friends. I said, you know, we do drill and ceremony. We march around with rifles and, and uh, if you make a mistake and you're out of line with the rest of the guys, they take a point off. But if you go to correct it, they take another point off. <laughs> so you just want to catch up with the next move. Yeah. And, and and I said, so I feel like right now, if this was a mistake, me coming here, I think quitting would be another mistake. Yep. So I said, I'm just going to stick it out. And they kind of, it kind of made them think anyway. <laughs> I didn't get a comeback. So. Yeah. So, so this, and I haven't, I don't get to ask this to everybody, but when did you realize you were going to make it? At the, I had an academic board at, as I came back to school for, I guess, the spring of my junior year. And uh, I knew it. I just knew I was going to make it. I don't know why. Uh, and I went in and I had a really positive attitude. 
And I can't think of that guy's name, but he was the colonel in the philosophy department that was there the entire time, sort of a fixture for us at the academy. Okay. And he, when he retired, he became a general officer. Hmm. So, so anyway, this guy was sat at the chair of my board and uh, kind of a shocker to me because I was positive. I said, listen, I'm into my major now, which was history. Even though we couldn't major in history, I, I was into my that coursework. They were all similar. So the, the academics was going to be easier. I said, I've got my class ring. I'm getting a car. <laughs> this is going to be great. This is what you know it's all about. And they kind of didn't like my attitude. I, it was funny. It's like uh, they wanted me to be more of the shaking in my boots. I got the feeling, but I didn't. I didn't let that stop me. I, I knew at that point I was going to make it. Maybe I, I shouldn't have been that confident, but I was. That's great. No, I, yeah. my dad didn't think I was going to make it till the the actual ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I should have been. I don't know. Like I said earlier, may may you never know what you can't do. They they published a list of the order of merit, and we had to figure out where we we're going to stand, and you know what, how far into the ceremony we were going to be called. Mm-hmm. I was on the back row, and there were, I think, the day they they published it, there were nine twenty two, and by the time we graduated, they raced uh, three more names from it. He goes, Oh no! I hope they don't. Uh, well, I was in a, I was in the seven hundreds, but academically, I would have been pretty close to you. Uh, I just happened to have been on the commandant's list every oh. semester. I was a cadet. Really? I was, a, so I, that put me on the commandant's honor roll. And to tell you the truth, I never really paid attention. I didn't realize that that was happening uh, until they told me that at graduation. So, well, that's that's very cool. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> you. Were- you're an honorary sergeant, right? Yeah, I got that honorary NCO from being a crew chief on B-52s that summer, and uh, and then by the by the time I uh, went to third lieutenant in our senior before our senior year, uh, I went to WC-135s, uh, which I didn't even know what that mission was, and ironically, what I do now in retirement kind of touches upon it. Uh, and I kind of finally learned what that airplane does. Um, um, so it was, uh, and we flew all around the Pacific. I fell in love with the Pacific. Uh, we went to Japan. We went to uh, Guam. And um, to give you an idea of what the history of, of the time was, when we landed at Guam, the refugees that had come out of the end of the Vietnam War, all those Vietnamese people, yeah. Were they had like a tent city built right near the runway wow. at Anderson Air Force Base, and uh, so that's the kind of era it was. Uh, uh, but I fell in love with that era. I, I asked for it out of pilot training, uh, and instead I got a KC-135 to Okinawa, which was not too bad. And then, did I read correctly? You were also a Siri instructor. I was. I um, I, I was an interrogator. Uh, the first time I did it, uh, and I guess I did the second time when I was uh, senior, uh, I portrayed the camp labor boss. Oh, so nice. I was, <laughs> these are horrible things too. Yeah. <laughs> the interrogator. And, but I learned something about myself being an interrogator. And I learned about the resilience of some people and how you can't break them. And no matter what you say or do, and uh, so I learned a, a couple of things uh, from that. 
uh, in spite of myself because I was just, you know, doing something to be doing a program in the summer. I don't know that I had too big of a choice. Uh, a survival training, and then I was an element sergeant junior year and an element leader. Uh, and it's funny, I ended up flying with one of the guys that I was the element leader for when I, and it, <laughs> he's, he's still my friend today. He was, he got out and was, uh, he flew Casey tens with me and he flew the airlines and uh, he just recently retired. So it, it's, and he still remembers, uh, fortunately good memories of me. <laughs> I had, I tended to have a sense of humor with the underclassmen and, uh, I just couldn't be too serious at times. So. Yeah, I think I think having a sense of humor is one of the secrets of this whole program. Is no matter what they're doing to you, try exactly. to make something light to to relieve some of that pressure. Gallows gallows humor. Yeah, gallows humor, <laughs> out and out humor. It's good stuff. Yeah. Um. All right, so you make it all the way to throwing your hat in the air, and you're you're off to Mississippi again. Yeah, I went to Columbus, Mississippi, and um, had a Almost washed out. Uh, got the end of the T thirty seven, and I was—I don't know—they were. I think they—they they were trying to weed out people that, you know, were just kind of on the fence. I assumed being an Air Force Academy graduate, I think I took it for granted I was going to pilot training. I didn't realize how special it was. Yeah. And I, having grown up in the Air Force, and my dad—he was a navigator. He or actually he was a um, electronic warfare officer that. Okay later retrained as a navigator just because that's the kind of wings they wore. Uh, but he, uh, so I, I just assumed I'd be a pilot and, uh, maybe that was arrogant or I don't know what, maybe it's dumb, but I, I, I it got kind of serious there. I, uh, I didn't want to quit. So my perseverance that I learned at the air force Academy paid off. And I, uh, I actually waited cause I kind of took a little extra time to finish T-37s and I went to the T-38 and that, and it was kind of nice for me because in that class was my roommate from the Air Force Academy. So I had a lot of buddies. I had a lot of buddies in that class, and and I did really well in the T thirty eight. But it was too late. You know, your my die was cast. I was going to be a big airplane driver. Uh, in fact, I got an excellent on my formation check ride, uh, which I always remember because the guy who gave it to me ended up visiting me later on when I was a wing commander in Turkey. I won't, I won't go ahead that far, but. But I, I saw the guy again. It was just and we couldn't remember where we knew each other from. He did. And he, and he told my exec uh, when he was leaving, tell him I remember I gave him his formation check ride. So, yeah, so, anyway. And then uh, your first assignment was Kadena. Yeah, Okinawa. And I stayed and stayed and stayed. And it's a good chance uh, that I could have ruined my career. You, you really don't want to, as a young officer, I guess you they that's why I try to say to people in my career, don't try this at home because I did some things that aren't actually that advisable. Uh, I was there for almost five years. Uh, and, uh, and the funny thing was they came forward and they said, you know, you got to have a master's degree to get promoted to major. And that was a long way off, but I thought my GREs are about to run out. And I was right. They made us take those GREs at the Academy yeah. and apparent, apparently I'd done okay even though my grades weren't that great. And um, so the University of Southern California was teaching classes right there in Okinawa. And uh, I was on SAC alert. We were KC-135 alert there. And um, we were a tenant unit at a, the PACAF base. 
And um, so I, I took the classes at night, got a master's degree. By this, uh, sort of had a little trouble. I didn't have a 4.0, like a 3.8 or something. But that was a big opening eye opener for me because I thought I was a dummy. You know, I didn't think I could finish anything. Yeah. And I, and now I, I kind of got my feet under me and I thought, hey, I can actually do this, this uh, school and stuff. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, uh, so that was good. And I said, "Woo, I'm never going to do that again. You know, I'm, I'm done with education, but at least I got major or lock on major, you know. So uh, that that went OK. And uh, and so I stayed there and I I. I didn't, I upgraded to aircraft commander and uh, this was a time when the air force had trouble keeping pilots. Uh, they didn't, they had a, uh, not enough qualified pilots and uh, they were bringing them out of staff jobs. So a lot of older guys were showing up in the cockpit and senior co-pilots like me, we had to babysit them while we were ready to upgrade to aircraft commander. We couldn't, we had to wait a little extra couple months, which really was uh, not that easy for us, but it turned out okay. And, um, I remember uh, coming to the States, going to California, Merced, and upgrading and doing just fine. And by the time I did have to, they finally made me leave. And the only reason I stayed a little extra was to finish that master's degree. Right. And the minute, minute it was done, they sent me to North Carolina in the KC-135. Uh, and they couldn't wait to see me there because in that crew, I was kind of a senior guy. And they they were in a hurry and no time at all. I upgraded to instructor pilot and, uh, and then they sent me to some other school that uh, now the air force advanced instrument course, but it was SAC instrument flight course back then. And uh, so, not, and I saw because of that, I taught ground school for years to all the other pilots. I was in charge of that. And so just these odd little thing. I was like one of the youngest flight commanders in SAC back then, uh, but times were changing. It wasn't because I was all that marvelous. It was because, people were going to start being younger uh, flight commanders. And I just happened to be one of the first ones. So, right. And then Seymour Johnson's where you had your big adventure. Yeah. Uh, come I'm in the KC-135. Uh, I remember in my master's degree course back in Okinawa, they, I did a paper on which advanced tanker we should get, the KC-10 or the 747. And I thought the 747 was a better choice. And my professor asked me, well, do you think you'll ever fly this airplane? And I said, oh, no, I'm too long in the tooth. Well, I was selected so for the KC-10 because the 135s left Seymour Johnson, and I went into the KC-10 right there at Seymour Johnson, and I was the first aircraft commander checked out at this third of three locations where they had that brand-new airlift tanker cargo aircraft. And they had 60 total that they bought, and 20 were going to show up at Seymour. And uh, we only had two or three airplanes and they had to do runway construction. So we relocated ourselves up to New Hampshire, Bees Air Force Base. And when we got there, a uh, big adventure happened. Uh, it's much too long to go into now. But uh, just basically, the uh, first time I got to fly alone without an instructor pilot because I was that new, uh, not really that accomplished at receiving fuel. I'd given away fuel in the air many times. But the KC-10 was had a new skill. And that's being a receiver aircraft. And that's a little tough to learn. Once you get it, though, it's pretty easy. But I had a little trouble with that. And um, so uh, that played into it. And we, we took some a Marine A4s across the Atlantic. And the weather was not as good as they said it was going to be. And we ended up uh, emergency recovering. Uh, 
I ended up taking off without a clearance, without paying for gas, without doing a lot of things. Um, broke well, of course, quite a few. that was after saving three Marines the fir- on the first landing, right? Yeah, I, my guys, I got my guys on the ground, flying them on the wing down to Santa Maria, a civilian island, a hundred miles. It's part of the Azores, but yeah. we could not get into the Azores. The weather was too bad. Airport. Got my guys on the ground. I thought my day was done. Adrenaline draining from my body. And the next thing I know, we're trying to contact the KC-10 behind us. Another one of our classmates, uh, John Jasky, was the aircraft commander. And they're not answering us. And I learned that later the reason they weren't answering us is they had life preservers on, their LPUs on, and they were doing the ditching checklist because – uh, in the process of me getting on the ground, some of their receivers, he had six receivers, and three of them went with a Marine C-130 that could refuel in the air. And they brought them down the same way I brought my guys down to Santa Maria. Only two of them landed, and the third one crashed on the runway. So now there's no available runway. And uh, we had been thinking ahead, and we uploaded some gas and think in case they needed a strip alert tanker. Um, we asked for one ourselves earlier and there wasn't anyone in Europe ready to take off and help us uh, when we could not land at lodges like we were supposed to. So we were ready to go. We couldn't get their attention. And I had my co-pilot talk to Jasky's co-pilot and he said, yo, Jim, we can be airborne in 10 minutes. And Jim said, go for it. So on Jim's command, <laughs> I I went ahead and uh, we threw the crew chiefs their bags because we needed someone to marshal us out to the runway and then uh, it's a really it's a lot of little details i'm gonna leave out but we took off basically and refueled those airplanes that were on fumes and we headed for road to spain because that's the nearest place we could land with the right navigation aids and we didn't have clearance or anything we were just going on our own cognizance uh they call that due regard and uh and we were headed that way and uh and by the time we got up off the coast, they did get together another KC-10 crew from uh, Barksdale who t- was at Spain. And they came up and got us and, and gave us all a little bit of gas, which was quite a challenge for me because I had trouble getting through my check ride as a receiver. But after that night, I never had trouble again. It was uh, I had the boom operator talk me in and I got my gas and uh, and that's that was that. And we I, I once we were done refueling, I started let the copilot recover us into Rhoda. I, I was a limp noodle, but I, I had to, when you get on the ground, the, the guy with the taxi uh, steering wheel is on the pilot side. So I had to take over again. And <laughs> yeah, it was quite a thing. And the, the Marine Corps told us the next day as we were flying back home, because we had to abandon our original thing was to take these Marines to Bodo Norway for an annual exercise. <laughs> we never, we never got there. Yeah, and, uh, your annual exercise already. Yeah. So we're headed home and the Marines say, your air medals are in the mail. And my flight engineer said, air medals? We get air medals for taking off without a box lunch. Ah. So, <laughs> so anyway, they did actually send us air medals, but the Air Force canceled them. Uh, I guess I can say that. I don't want to get too controversial, but uh, they canceled them at the Pentagon because they didn't want to embarrass the Air Weather Service who didn't quite have the forecast right. So and uh, ended up with a lesser medal. No, actually what ended up happening is that uh, later on, they sent this letter across my desk and said, write yourself up for an award. And there's all these annual trophies that they give out in the air, air 
Air Force Association. And one of them I noticed you could give for an entire crew. So I, instead of writing myself up for an award, I wrote the whole crew up for the McKay Trophy. And lo and behold, we won it. So, and so this is my, I don't have that many hours in the KC-10 at that point. Yeah. My first time without an IP. And uh, so we, we kind of did the impossible. One of the first nicknames they were going to give me that night when we came back was Lazarus. Huh. And they, but they ended up calling me Phoenix. So that's my call sign, which I, when someone says Phoenix, I don't always turn around it because I'm not really used to that. But, um, but I, but it was kind of a, because we were also forward deployed to Pease, New Hampshire. So we weren't even at home. And so all these folks, it was not ordinary. You know, that night I couldn't buy a drink. Uh, a year later, when General Welsh, the chief of staff, was giving us the trophy, that's the first time I learned that uh, he, uh, they had given up. They thought we were at the bottom of the ocean. Wow. And then and the Marine Corps commandant had called my ops officer and told him, he, his, one of his pilots let him know everything was okay. Mm-hmm. And the commandant called my ops officer and said, we were the greatest thing since sliced bread. Oh, yeah. So, so it was really kind of a, I didn't know, hear that until a year or so later. Uh, I think there was a little bit of politics going on or something. But anyway, it ended okay. Uh, I didn't get court, court martialed. And I was going to say, initially you said that uh, there was a little flack and that you might've got, they thought you were goofing around or something. And, and Well, they thought, well, yeah, they thought maybe, you know, they were looking for they were looking for some reason why a rookie, which they thought of as, as rookies, yeah. would get involved in this. They're trying to find us some reason. And then one of the things they did is when we landed back in New Hampshire, they divided the crew up. They brought out every single rental car they had yeah. and they put a different person in each van and they all interrogate or it didn't seem like that. But they were all asking us, you know, what had happened? How did it go? And, and the stories were all the same because we just, it's not too hard when you tell the truth, you know? And so they couldn't find any holes in the, in the thing. And my, uh, I remember our 06 picked me up and he said, congratulations. Most people get their uh, experience in the KC 10 over 10 years or so. You decided to do it all in one mission. (laughs) (laughs) So so it was a, it ended okay. Uh, but well, it ended up really, really well. It's just kind of it, sometimes your best day is also your worst day, and you just got to figure out how to. Yeah. And then, yeah. And so, and then a year later, they picked up on it at the Air Force Academy, and they awarded me and, and the co pilot, who was an 81 grad, 80 grad, 81 okay. grad, 80 grad. Uh, <laughs> they gave us the Jabara Award. Pardon my cat. My That's all right. Okay. And so we got the Jabara, which um, I try to tell people about that and they, they glaze over, but it, it's always, you know, Sully Sullenberger got that one. So that, that usually people can relate a little better. I, I know that one more than I know the McKay one. Yeah. And then some obscure uh, sack trophy, the Calbear trophy. We got that. We, I'm no, <laughs> nothing wins like winning. It was getting silly. I got a distinguished flying cross. We were received the, and the crew all got air medals, which was points for promotion for them. Um, and we got, um, the Air Force Flying Safety Well Done Award. There was a combat crew award in the back of the combat crew magazine. And one of my favorites was the Navy Approach magazine had an article 
and they gave I had a Bravo Zulu. So that's one of that's one of my favorites. <laughs> and uh, you got to go to Maxwell. Yes, I went to Maxwell, and I thought my career was over because I went to Air Command and Staff College, and they uh, they called SAC and they said, "Who are you protecting? We need we can't get any of our instructors promoted here at Air Command and Staff College, and we want to keep some of your shiny pennies." And they said, "Just be fifty two pilots." Well, they kept thirty uh, percent of my of the peer group in the KC-10, three KC-10 pilots and instructor pilots were kept on faculty. Uh, but then I had a reprieve on my sentence because uh, the next year would, would have been my second year on faculty. They started the school of advanced air power studies uh, and now it's air and space studies. Yes. Air space. I think that's right. And, um, and I got, they wanted a few faculty guys for that first class to make sure it got off the ground okay. And I got lucky and got into, into that. So I was, I had one of the first thesis published. Only, uh, it was called uh, Media Spin is the New Principle of War. It was a pretty sexy idea back in Desert Storm Days, which was around the time of that. Um, and, uh, and so I, I got another master's degree. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wait a minute. I'm... I'm not an egghead. I felt like I had to apologize to somebody. You know, why am I getting all these degrees? I almost flunked. You know, I'm not that. That's not really my gig. But there I was, you know, I got this other master's degree. And at the same time, because I thought my career was over, I started a night program with my GI Bill with the University of Alabama to get a doctorate in public administration just because that seemed the most easiest one to do. And there, and a, a son of a gun, we were almost done. This one of the guys that uh, was with me there, uh, one of the students when I was faculty, we were both in the program. And uh, we egged each other on. We actually finished all the way through comprehensive exams while we were doing SAS, which is insane when I look back. I don't know what I was thinking. But we, uh, we never finished, neither one of us finished and got the doctorate where he started moving around too much. He had a little bit more success in life than I did. He, his name was Taco Gilbert. He was the commandant of cadets at one point hmm. and he retired as a one-star. I'm pretty sure. And, um, but, uh, I, I, so now I've got all these degrees and, uh, from there I went to, uh, uh, I guess back to flying because yeah, I got, yeah, I got a little, I got, I got promoted early because of the McKay trophy. So I was now two years ahead of the peer group and uh, the sync sack had signed my rating form and looked like I was going to go places, but you know, I really didn't have a daddy rabbit. I didn't have someone that was looking out for me, just these great things that happened to me. And um, so I went to Seymour Johnson, but it, I had to take a number. A lot of people were there waiting to be commander and right. It's my last possible moment. I was the last com. I was the air combat command. They were doing an experimental wing there. We weren't in air mobility command. The KC-10s had left SAC and gone to this one case at Seymour Johnson to air combat command. So I'm kind of an uh, exception to the rule. I'm not an air mobility command guy. I never win an air mobility command. Uh, uh, however, I've heard that somebody came back and said they're teaching my. Uh, McKay Trophy mission as a leadership lesson at the Squadron Commander School. Huh. I said, well, you didn't 
Nobody told me. I'll go teach it for them if they want, but they don't really want to hear it from me. They, they want, I, I wonder what I wonder what they're teaching myself. Yeah, but they want the sanitized version. <laughs> yeah, they, they want, want, they want to de-emphasize the regulations broken. And yeah, uh, yeah. this is the this is the guy that will tell you the raw stuff. We don't. We want to. We want to show you. Yeah. When I say regulations, both it was things like flying unlike aircraft in formation, yeah. taking on landing in minimums below my requirements, uh, taking the, off and going to a divert field that doesn't speak English. No, I, yeah, I, yeah, flying, <laughs> uh, yeah, oopsies there, yeah, formate formation of aircraft uh, to landing that weren't the same kind of airplanes. So. Basically, you're imitating a typical Navy pilot, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what I, well, I, you know, I thought that was my job. I thought yeah. at the time I wasn't, I didn't even think it was all that out of the ordinary. I just wanted to stay alive and keep them alive. Well, so that, that's what you do. Yeah. So that's what we were doing. So somebody, yeah. somebody liked the, enough to send it back to the Academy. Oh yeah. I ended up after I went, was a squadron commander. I went uh, to the joint staff for, and I became a joint service officer i wrote a couple of really cool documents and that's kind of that skill was really invaluable in retirement it's the skill i learned as a staff officer at the joint staff is kind of how i've been working since i got out of the air force uh, doing those same kinds of things but i went to the air force academy again which was unbelievable to me they made me the operations group commander and I was always afraid to go up to the academic building because I thought the doors would <laughs> shut and they'd say, you have something left to do here. We, You're we, not finished yet. That's on our board. <laughs> yeah. Guess what we found. But uh, I, I was down on the airfield, got my free fall parachute wings because my grades weren't good enough when we were cadets. Okay. So I, I but I'm in charge of it. And the commandant, General Lorenz, told me, "You need my knees are bad. I can't do it, but you need to go. Take the, and I was learning to fly the Otter at the same time, the plane that we were jumping out of. So I'd be up there flying one day, and the door would open, and I'd get the EBGBs because I knew those guys were getting ready to jump out. So it was quite an experience. What a fun airplane the Otter is, too, to fly. It was great. But I got my five jumps and my wings, and, and that was that. I, I I knew I was leaving, but I couldn't tell my my group. Uh, I I I was only there a year because I only had one year left of eligibility for War College, so uh, they, they they I didn't want everyone to know. I was, and they were trying to get me to go to Yuma in the spring break. They always went down there and did a lot of free fall parachuting, and you can do it for a long time down there because it's not you're not a mile high at the academy. Yeah, so. Uh, anyway, they, they selected me to go to Harvard for war college because one air force guy a year goes there. And now this, this get, this is getting kind of funny. You know, here's this guy, I almost flunked out of the Academy and now I'm going to Harvard. It's kind of funny to me in a way, but, uh, and to be a student and to be like a really special guy. You're yeah. One of uh, was, the only air force guy and there's a whole bunch of ambassadors yeah. and yeah, it was really cool. It was the Weatherhead Center for International Affairs, and I'm a lifetime Harvard fellow. Wow. I have to curl my pinky when I say that. <laughs> and I, and I, and so of course they didn't like my irreverence there either. But uh, we've got I, the Doctor Evil cat going. That's cool. Yeah, and so, but I out of there I went to Air South in NATO, Italy, and they, I'm sorry, uh, Naples, Italy, NATO, and um, so. This is how I ended up back 
eventually going to Turkey because we turned the they used to have Allied Tactical Air Forces ATAF. My dad was in six ATAF when I was a kid. Oh, okay. That turned they turned them into Chaos Combined Air Operations okay. Centers. In the same six, there were six Chaos, and I was the guy standing them up, uh, and and we did it in record time. And we had to bring down the Balkans Chaos because Kosovo was was ending. I ended up being the air forward. On, I was the senior airman on the ground up at K4 headquarters up in Christina, Kosovo. And that was fun. All the mud and the tents and everything. And um, so, but, and I became, eventually became director of staff for General Keyes, who was the air combat command commander when he retired, but he was uh, the air South commander and 16th air force. Yeah. And, uh, and he, picked me to be the wing commander at Inserlik, but I didn't know. And I, we were doing an exercise in Bulgaria, 9-11 happened and they uh, kept everybody on the ground as you, everyone, you know, around the world, we went into a panic sure. and nobody knew what to do. And, uh, I, and I went up there because I had created a deployable battle staff for the guy. It was just something I created out of thin air. And um, we, I was there and, and coming back, the general's exec said, would you like to fly home with the general to Naples? And I said, sure, I would. And, uh, and so we we ended up uh, getting off the plane. He's on the phone and General Keith says, congratulations, you're the new 39th wing commander. <laughs> and I, of course, I acted excited and happy. I had no idea where the hell the theater ninth wing was, <laughs> <laughs> but I was happy as hell. And then come to find out, it was kind of probably a good, it was wonderful. I mean, fantastic. It's Inserlik, but it's a fighter wing. The Air Force had just oh, wow. taken the word fighter off all of the wings recently. And so it wasn't so obvious. So he made a tanker pilot, a fighter wing commander. And there's some folks he that probably didn't. so popular for a while. <laughs> they probably didn't really forgive me for that. <laughs> so, but it wasn't my idea. I didn't even know he was considering me for that. But I was so happy he did, of course. And, uh, and so I had a, a nice run there. But I had several hats because we had different bosses. I had a, a Musafi hat yeah. uh, for the weapon storage that we had. I had a, a Combined Forces hat, Sakure for the uh, Northern Watch. And then Enduring Freedom started. And that's kind of USAFE again, uh, another combined thing. And so there's three hats, three different wings because of the chain of command, the legalities of it. And then of course, when uh, OIF started, that was a CENTCOM hat. So technically I had that, but we never fought from Turkey up there, so. Had a did a neo. Had to get all my people out of there and send them back to the states. And, and I ended up back at the Pentagon as the deputy for operational plans and joint matters. And I was deputy to my classmate at first, Mike Gould, uh, and the second was Mike Warden. Well, you so, got Mike's in, in line there. <laughs> yeah, War Dog, Coach, and War Dog. So what did they? Uh, so being their deputies, I mean. How, is that fun or is that hell? <laughs> it was terrific. Okay. I mean, I mean, I mean, it was nice. And I, I, I'm the kind of guy. I'm a pretty decorum guy in those situations. I didn't really try to 
I hope I didn't. Maybe they'd say different. Try to pal around in front of people with them. But yeah, behind closed doors, we were buddies. You know, we it's that you know that we all have that. All us class, the classmates, we we have that unspoken conversation. We just look at each other. We kind of know a lot of things without saying a whole lot of stuff. Yep. And um, so we we've got through things. And um, and Mike Gould, he never liked to sit on the Joint Capabilities Board, and he sent me. So I'm sitting there, and there is an 06 with a general from the Army, a general from the uh, Marine Corps, and an admiral from the Navy was an Air Force Academy graduate. I forget his name, uh, underclassman to me, so I don't really recall. Huh. And, and Hoss Cartwright was the J-8 uh, Marine Corps three-star. So he was uh, the chairman of that little group. And we would decide on, you know, if a program would go forward or not, they would brief up all these for resources, basically. So that was kind of a good experience. All those things helped me get a really neat job when I retired. Uh, I worked for Booz Allen and then later on MITRE, so, uh, which I'm doing now. You're doing now. So, and you, yeah. so you retired, uh, was it basically the end of the road or was there a... I actually, I was in a general officer's job okay. at the Pentagon. And it was at 29-year point, and my boss from the joint staff was recruiting me to come to Booz Allen, and uh, he made it sound like a much bigger job than it was. Oh. And, and I kind of regret it. I wished I, I could have stayed to 30, and I just said, it's not really polite for me to take up this space. It's a general officer in, in waiting kind of job. And I, and I just said, maybe I'll just gracefully – you know, go do the Booz Allen thing now. And I, I get most of my retirement at 29 years. So it wasn't that big of a thing. I, I wished I'd um, stayed just because I never had quit anything before. Uh, I, I didn't really look at it as quitting back then, but I, I was just going to start something new and, and move along. Uh, and that last year uh, was very gratifying. I was, uh, I could, I was pretty close. I was, you know, recommended for promotion to BG and, um, there was one tanker pilot that got promoted that year, like you would imagine, one tanker pilot. And it was my old co-pilot, ah. Sudis uh, Jardin. So I felt like I sort of had a, uh, a success there anyway. So His uh, his promotion, that's great. Yeah. So, um, And then I spent a lot of years doing stuff at six years at Booz Allen, and now I'm coming up on my 12th year at MITRE. Wow. Uh, and uh, – the, the booze Allen stuff. I, I, I just pollinated flowers in one age. I think I've been in every agency in this town <laughs> and everybody thinks that they're the real deal and everybody else is a hobby shop. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, you know, mostly Homeland security kind of stuff, counter terrorism, that stuff. You're doing important stuff and you're, and you're helping, still contributing. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And that at, the, our, at our age, my age, um, it, always- it's a nice feeling to feel useful. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and yeah, so unusual for because I've I seen a bunch of our airline pilots yeah. around, yeah, kind of chomping at the bit. So, yeah, well, so uh, it's a good run. I'm still at it, and uh, I well, don't I don't see quitting anytime immediately, as long as I'm useful and and they're willing to pay me to do this. I have I actually have some people that work for me, direct reports and. They're all have prior careers in places like the FBI or the Marine Corps or, you know, they had a full career somewhere else and they came to MITRE. And now I'm uh, sort of their coach and mentor and 
decide what kind of raise they get or help decide at the end of the year. Well, good for you. All right, man. Well, thank, thanks for doing this. Thank you. This was great. I didn't, I have to be honest. I didn't really realize it. I ran into Richie Felder, our classmate, and he told me you were doing this. And, uh, and I, so I contacted you and uh, I'm glad I did. Thank you well, for inviting me to do this. No, no it's, it's my pleasure. And I will give you a call in just a minute.